This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. My entire career is a result of repressed anger. I don't think I would have been a stand-up comic if I wasn't so enraged at what was expected to be my place in the world. Welcome to Women Are Mad, where we invite women to bring their anger into everyday conversation. I'm Selena Saxton, I'm an actress and writer. I'm Jennifer Cox, and I'm a psychotherapist. We noticed that anger is the one emotion that women aren't allowed to openly express. Meanwhile, everything around us is making us absolutely furious. We're all feeling it. Let's get together to work out what to do with it. Salima, what's made you angry this week? I am angry about grief. I'm not going to go on about my dead dad every week, just to be clear. But where I am in grief has surprised me because I thought I had nailed it four weeks in because I was estranged from my dad and I talked about it and I cried and I got angry. Good. Mm, Um, (laughs) On brand. Um, And I worked out lots of things. What I didn't figure was going to happen was that I was then going to have some kind of big existential fear so I currently feel pretty scared about lots of things that I haven't been scared about for a long time and I'm catastrophizing in a way that again I haven't for a while and I can only relate it back to a lot of the dreams I'm having about Mm. my dad about my childhood not all bad, some things like planting vegetables, some really innocuous, lovely times too. Um, But I have this big overwhelming fear and it's pissing me off. So it's like something really existential actually is happening. You're having to confront something. Yes. Mm. I'm Mm. still piecing it together. I'm still like mismarpling it and working out what I think about it all but I just feel a bit wobbly and a little bit heightened about everything I think you are more jumpy and wary at the moment yes I'm tetchy I feel like I've drunk a lot of coffee that's how you are jittery yes exactly Mm. am I really yeah you are like you're expecting like what's the next thing what's going to happen next yeah so listen I'm braced Yeah, a bit braced, exactly. I'm glad that that's not just entirely in my own head and you've noticed it too. No, I think it's quite real. And I think it's where that the metaphorical, the kind of unconscious stuff does pass through, cross over into real life. Yeah. And also, although he was absent from my life and I chose for him to be absent from my life for many years, he was like some... uh, prop that I had in the back of the cupboard or a walking stick or like an old overcoat that I could have got out if I really wanted to and there's no possibility now Mm. so I suppose it's the finality yeah Um, and that you had so little agency ultimately in deciding where he would be in your mind and in your life you can make those decisions he's 
he's in real terms not in it, but he's in your head. Yes, and I'm and I'm cross. I am angry that oh no, yet again, even in death, hmm. um, here we go. You're creating or you're helping create some kind of big feelings. Um, you know, so the presence of an absent parent is. I would say sometimes more overwhelming than a very present every dad's parent, even as an adult. Um, yeah. So look, that that's that's where I am. Yeah. Ooh. The tiny thing to throw in. The tiny thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Tis the season for a new regimen, one way the, or another. The tweak, the tweakment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm, mm. So, uh, yeah, very confronted by that, and also the reality that for so many women especially i think this stuff lands really hard um whether it's the demands of this season of the you know festive season but also going into january and kind of being the um support for everyone else in the family that is then undoubtedly having a bit of a rubbish time so mm-hmm. um yeah struck by that my um, very dear hippie friend who literally lives in a teepee suggested that we um, no longer abide by, is it the Gregorian calendar, um, our calendar, and oh. just do it very differently. Because she was like, I just try and think of it very differently, as in, oh. you know, um, and actually she has got a point, you know, because these memories that we all have connected to specific days, mm. um, look, for some, the new year, Christmas, Easter, whatever, can be totally uncomplicated. But for many of us, I think even our bodies hold so many years of complicated memories about those specific days. Even my birthday does, to be frank. Well, it does. Our brain on anniversaries is fascinating. And I think it indicates how animalistic we are because we're tapped in more than we ever know into these sensory cues around us that, Right. remind our brain here we are again yes. and it's a classic prepare um, yourself almost exactly so mm. even if you're trying to do things afresh you're up against that you're up against you know the wiring we're gonna meet a fantastic Brilliant. woman now uh, let me introduce her our guest today manages to deliver searingly truthful observations about the world with a sparkling warmth which always leaves you wanting more as well as authoring four books, including her latest, Scatterbrain, which deftly explores her own neurodiversity, you'll have enjoyed her on everything from I'm a Celebrity to Just a Minute. Please welcome the perfectly unique Chaparat Corsandi. Hello. Hello. I nearly went, woo! <laughs> I really love watching guests' faces when they hear their, their introductions. What was your face? What was your face? I was sort of playing with my lips and pulling like my baboon face. <laughs> um, Shappy, we're going to go straight in and just ask you, what makes you angry? What makes me angry is that I um, was struggling to think um, of things to talk about that make me angry on this podcast that I listen to and enjoy. And I realised, oh, because I've internalised it all. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Okay, I'm fine with everything. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, I'm angry at a lot of things that I have been working through. Oh, gosh, take your pick. Classism, racism, homophobia. And let's start with romance. Please. I'm so angry with how long it's taken me to realise how hoodwinked we all were about what love is. Um, I totally bought into the Cinderella story that one day there's this one person and you'll click and that'll be that. And as a result, I, despite the fact that I grew up, well, I came of age in the 90s. So I was in my 20s and the 90s where we all muddled feminism up with alcoholism and we were like having one night stands because men do it. Why can't we? And I would just be like, oh, maybe he is the one for me, even though we don't know my name and we're in a bush. And having the Cinderella fantasy and not being not having Sarah Pascoe's book to read oh. <laughs> about the, the chemicals and the biology mm. and how, what actually happens to us when we're attracted to someone. The access we have now to the most minimal amount of psychotherapy to learn about, um, you know, our own attachment styles or neediness and, and, and what is it that serves us and constantly thinking, being told that the one thing that will make us happy is finding the one you love. And so as a consequence, I dated any man who wrote me poetry, stared deep into my eyes, you know, wrote me flipping songs. Don't write me songs, take the bins out. <laughs> ask me how my mum is, you know. Yeah, ask me how my yes. mum is. Yes. yes. This, this love thing is absolutely true. I do think mm. about it more and more. I have had to explain to every partner that I've had that I don't like Valentine's Day. I don't like standing on a tube platform with a fucking rose in my hand. Ooh. It's I don't like going to restaurants with lots of other couples. I want us to, I the most romantic thing about Valentine's Day is to pretend it's not happening. Yeah. It's, it's the antithesis of romance mm. for me. And I made a decision in, because I kept making the wrong decisions with men. I kept muddling romance up with love. And then realizing how often I was in a transaction. Mm -hmm. I will watch the ground you walk on if, if you will be my mother. Mm. And I found that pattern kept happening. And I don't, and I get sad when people go, oh, well, all men want just want a mother. I think that does a disservice to men as well. In January, after my last um, boyfriend and I broke up, I made a conscious decision to be completely single and celibate for a year. Great. And we're nearly at the end of that year. And I slipped up once, but that was with a good friend and we never talked about <laughs> okay, it. It yeah. count. But it, it has really um, taught me so much about myself and my values. And I never had the confidence to do this before because I was still buying into happiness meant romance. And happiness doesn't mean just that it also means riding out lonely times you know going to parties I've been to so many Christmas parties just chock-a-block you know kitchens full of happy couples and me happy, on my happy couple exactly yeah exactly and, and just thinking you're not the odd one out you're you and, and you're here because these are your friends and and everyone is interesting and they're not these little units um 
cohesive no yeah well what i always think as well is that we had to couple up with ourselves like that has to be our first relationship the one that we are happiest in and then we can go to any number of parties and holidays and whatever it is where ordinarily you'd think this is for a a formal technical couple and realize it's i'm it i am that couple that's exactly it and it's taken me so long to get here and understand that and and have the courage to lean into that and now that i have it is so precious and so golden and i and i look at the way the world is and it's still telling us all to find the one you love um unless you go on instagram and say nice you know see a nice lady say your biggest love should be yourself your greatest love should be yourself Mm. the love of your life Mm. should be yourself and that journey and that's the word journey is not one that i'm going to say in a silly voice anymore (laughs) i think good for you a bit of a journey of course it's a journey yeah journey so where does that leave you Shappy, with the with the with the next year in terms of dating is it something that you're gonna think about or or are you happily single and enjoying what you're journeying towards currently i am really happily single great and i am i, I do get lonely but I've found you can get a lot from loneliness when you come out the other side. It's just a thing to get through and you come out the other side, you know, riding through that loneliness, come out the, coming out the other side and just being really relieved that I didn't plug it with, um, you know, the first person that said, Oh my gosh, this is Dorothy Parker poem that just reminds me of you. So, and that, cause that's, that's not fair on the guys as well. All the girls, that's the other thing. I'm not even like heterosexual, but I've been so, that's another, that's another thing I'm angry about, but we'll talk about that later. Why, what? No, I'd like to know, yeah. I'd like to know. There's another thing like about internal, like my generation mm. thinks, we think that we ladettes, ravers mm. and all that were the, really um, open-minded ones, liberal ones. I went, you know, on so many pride marches and all of this, but my own sexuality, I still stifled mm-hmm. and I still feel really bashful about. And and I still get a sense of people who've like known me. And when I sort of mention it, it sort of stops the conversation a little bit. And that puts me back in my little closet for a bit. And then I sort of creep out and then I think, oh God, I've left it too late. Because now it looks like a I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dilettante lesbian, <laughs> sort of hitting midlife. Great phrase. I love that phrase. <laughs> me, you know, hitting midlife and um, deciding that um, well, I can do DIY. So why? Do, and it's of you are very good at DIY. Is she? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm all right at the old DIY. I've had to be. I've been like on my own and always. Mm. With- play the piano rather than put up shelves so but isn't this silly then like all of this capability and capacity in you that could have that you could have been enjoying it was all a bit less than because you felt like the romance wasn't all neatly tied up with a bow yeah yeah I felt that that was the one thing I wasn't achieving in my life I wasn't something missing yeah, there was. Mm. I wasn't achieving romance and or, or love. And the fact is that when I married, um, 
it was all wrong. It makes me sad when I read my diary from that period. And I was so disconnected with myself. But I, I can read between the lines of 30-something-year-old me. Mm-hmm. And I just go, oh, darling, you knew he didn't love you. You knew he didn't love you. And and we got married anyway. And, we're you know, we're we're friends now. We have Christmas together. I have a wife-in-law. His wife, his wife is my wife-in-law. We've decided. Mm. So that's all. That's all good. But it all took a lot of heartache and rebuilding, and it kind of broke my belief in it all. I think. Mm. Um, in I a, wonder in if a- it was more complicated even than that, and that there was a maybe projection of him not loving you. But what was really difficult to recognize or acknowledge was that you maybe didn't feel that way about him yeah that's what you get when you chat to a psychotherapist <laughs> sorry right. about that right. i could do sorry some clowning that. i could do some miming or clowning no no i'm good do you know what i'm just going to leave you with that thought and move you on to the next question yeah, anyway let's. just to be super cruel when did you last get angry with someone or something when i Oh, it wasn't really anger. It was really acknowledging and explaining to my dad, who regards himself as a feminist. And growing up, I remember my dad and all of his intellectual um, male friends would sit and drink vodka and talk about feminism and the importance of feminism while my mum was locked in the kitchen <laughs> cooking up a storm for the wow, world. wow. And I think it was, I was explaining to my dad that while I was cooking this elaborate Persian meal the other day, which I, I don't do that often because it's time consuming, and realizing just what it takes and remembering all the times when my mum was in the kitchen and my dad would come home and say, oh, I've got a few friends coming to dinner. So that's like in three hours. How many? About 25. Right. And my mum would go and then she would just slave away in the kitchen and she would come out and bring out all these elaborate, beautiful dishes, never one or two, five different dishes. And everyone would praise her. Everyone would praise her. And I said to my dad that now when I look back on mum's cooking, I don't think, oh, she's such an amazing cook. I now think how flipping sad, how sad that she wasn't spending more time with me and my brother because she was cooking for your guests. And my dad was like, I know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And all of this. He doesn't talk like that. I just completely... uh, (laughs) Do you know what, Shafi? That's how I do my Pakistani mum. It's so funny. My my mum's actually terribly, terribly English and speaks very much like this. But I always do this cod Pakistani accent. Honestly, there's there's no one more racist than a child of an immigrant. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I was very angry. And I said to my dad that now I realise that as a child, I resisted it. I would not sit in the kitchen with my mum and learn to cook. And she never pushed me to either. I wanted to be off running off with my brother. And now, like, I'm having a dinner party on Tuesday and absolutely freaking out because I've got to cook for five people. So I, I said to my dad, I feel sad that I couldn't enjoy it as her hobby. I couldn't learn alongside her you know my dad really inspired me as a writer my mum did not inspire me as a cook because I felt that was a prison Mm. and I feel very angry that I 
lost out on my mum. I'm impressed that your dad could receive that. Yeah, I am too. And I'm thankful that I've got him at the age of 80 to still be able to, I tell you what, driving to Costco has really healed a lot between my dad and I because he's a bit, he, it's hard to pin him down for a conversation, but driving to Costco um, has meant that we um, have these long form chats and he's really open and receptive to all of that and why I don't like him saying ladylike. Mm. And he's like, but what's wrong with saying someone's ladylike? And I said, but dad, what does it mean? Because you never call me, he never calls, he loves me. He's so proud of me. He never calls me ladylike. And it's like, I've said to him, it's taken me a long time to understand that your feminism applies to me, but not to every woman. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? But I, I love that you have a father who has given me that, Shappy, actually. And being able to have these conversations that loads of people, I think, never manage with their parents. Yeah. That talking yeah, well about done. the past, talking about the things that were done to us by them and, and hearing the apologies, hearing that I shouldn't have done that, the regret, and being able to have this openness. This is so rare. Yeah. I do feel lucky. Mm. It's it's not something I take for granted. And also my dad is a poet, so mm. he is his soul is open to the new and to um exploration of that. And also um Sarah Barella's song, Say What You Wanna Say, Just Let the Words Fall Out. I've seen that to myself a lot when I have to have a di- difficult conversation. Oh, I love Good. this. Yeah, oh, this I is amazing. This. Yeah. Let it fall out. Um, because I've always found it extremely difficult to let words fall out. I've been so... Really? Compli- oh, my God. You don't come across like that at all, Shabby. So mm. compliant, so compliant. Even like mm. my kids when they were really small mm. and other kids would come round and they would do something naughty in my house. I wouldn't be able to tell them not to do that. And like even, I wasn't even assertive with children, like, um, which is the responsible thing to do. I'd find it so difficult to say, could you, do you mind not smearing your poo on our wall? Um, <laughs> so why, Shappy? That's so interesting. That's not how you come across. And that's not your new, in your performance. That's not who I see on television. I think there's lots of reasons. And I, um, I think it does come out down to anger. And I, I have ADHD. I am ADHD. And I've learned a lot about um, emotional dysregulation. And I think part of it is, I don't know how to, I've, I've learned now, I'm learning now, but I was always so worried of losing it. So, and the only people who've ever seen me lose it are people that I have, you know, my ex-lovers and my immediate, immediate family, not even my extended family. Um, I was never able to stand up for myself because I didn't know how to do it like a grown up. Mm-hmm. Oh. I, would, I would be compliant, compliant, and then tantrum. Right. So I didn't <laughs> learn that middle ground. And, and I think yeah. also because I've never had like a job, a conventional job where I've had to rub along with other people, go to HR, have a boss. And mm-hmm. so in stand up comedy, for me, it was an escape from all that. 
I don't think it was an accident because I was like, it was too grown up for me. I don't mean, oh, I'm just such a kid. I'm not saying that in a positive way. Mm. Um, I didn't learn how to be an adult and talk to another adult in a way which didn't make me so angry that I either shouted or cried. Mm. Wow. Yes, So I'm thinking how with navigating like the world of stand-up and it's obviously very male dominated always has been how would you express yourself express your needs get them met like make sure things happened that you wanted did Mm -hmm. could you no (laughs) no yeah no this whole thing of needs being met is a new concept for me because I didn't know I it's not even (laughs) It's not even though I, I I didn't know what my needs were. I didn't know I had needs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this so much. Oh, you want a shelter? What? Oh. I didn't know I had needs, mm-hmm. and when they weren't met, I didn't. It didn't occur to me to, and and that applies to friendships. That applies to everything. Mm-hmm. Um. So can we take you back to when you were starting out, yes. you know, as a, as a stand-up, presumably, yeah, very male-dominated, you're going up on stage and whatever, you in the green room. How how are you functioning amongst your fellow stand-ups? Well, it's funny because I, I was with some stand-up friends last night and I was telling them and they were like, you never came across like that. And I'm like, yeah, masking is a big thing. I was chronically mm-hmm. bulimic as well. So that was... Um, a, a huge fog that I was in. So I was, I put so much energy into masking and I wrote a diary, which I found a big chunk of the other day from 1998 to 2004. And in my diary, I don't call it anxiety because I didn't have the vernacular then. I talk about paranoid. I'm so paranoid. I've just left this conversation. And, and in my diary, I'm telling myself everything's okay. People weren't pissed off with you in the car because you said something boring. People weren't pissed off, you know, people, you didn't leave the green room and everyone look at each other and go, why is she on the bill? Mm. And going into the green room with other male comedians, they were... Um, ones that I felt extremely safe with and ones I didn't. So I would just always look and I was just mute around the ones I didn't. Unsafe meaning what? I just couldn't speak. I couldn't speak. I couldn't join in with their banter. If they talked to me, I froze. Mm. But there were some that I always felt really comfortable with and had a giggle with and had a laugh with. And I drank, I drank, I drank and drank and drank. Um, and I, yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. Binge drinking was how I got through it. And it makes me sad when I read my diary because there's hardly anything about the art of stand up in my diary. Mm. So I, I don't even believe that I began to apply creativity to my stand up in till like the last sort of few years really it was just coping 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 and wanting to be in this world and having a lot of fun too and getting the adrenaline hit when I smash a gig 
But now that smashing the gig isn't what I need to feel like a normal human being, <laughs> you know, I'm now really uh, absolutely enjoying being a stand-up because the anxiety is not there and all that's left is joy and making and the the art of it and the connection. Um, and I've I've there's people that I've known in the stand-up circuit for like 20 years that only now I've become re- like friends with. Because I couldn't connect with myself, let alone anyone else. I I am so grateful that you're saying this out loud because I think so many women in creative professions, I speak as an actor, hugely relate to this. You know, I think of myself in the audition room room in my 20s, basically curtsying and kind of, uh, you know, whilst I applied, um, I I was always auditioning for uh, doctors, terrorists, wives or yeah, good, the best friends, you know, whatever. Um, It's only now that I fully embrace the process. I can't relate to the stand-up, but I think Mm. it's the same joy. Like the craft of it. Yeah, Yeah, it's a pure Mm. joy, isn't it, Shabby? It's the flow. It's the flow and it's the joy and it's taken me a long time to get here. And here's where internalised racism comes into it Mm. but there weren't any many comics of color um it was so normal for people to say oh but you're Iranian that's your that's your unique selling point that's your unique selling point and then you'd you'd be on a tv show and they'd edit out everything you did apart from the bits where you talked about being Iranian you gave ideas and the only ideas they wanted were the ones that you mentioned about your family background and it was all well-intentioned I'm not sitting on high and saying all of these other people were wrong, but we were all part of a system that put you in a box if you uh, weren't white. Yes. um, You know, people that relate to this, I think class also is a huge thing because I deliberately spoke posh. Because, yeah, did you as well? Because yes. I'm not be foreign and working class, for God's sake. <laughs> so I deliberately spoke posh, despite the fact that, you know, I went to, you know, the, the school I went to uh, and, and all of that, I had a choice um, and I chose posh because I thought that will make me more palatable. When I say I thought, this was so, it was barely conscious thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course, of course. Quo. You just and- knew on some level you knew it. Absolutely. So <clears throat> all of that kind of stuff. And then so when the millennials came along and started to like visibly get angry and talk about this, I was like, oh, guys, guys, I was, I've cocooned myself. Don't make me come out. Don't make me come out. And, and then it was quite painful, actually. Yeah. I bet. To acknowledge that they were calling out things that I had been um, entrenched in and I was finding it really difficult to pull my head out of the sand mm. about a lot of things, um, which, I, which I do now, <clears throat> you know, and I do, I am much more vocal. And, and what I did a few, I put it upon myself um, a few years ago I thought, you know, my career's fine. I'm I'm established. I don't feel like I'm climbing anymore. And I took my puppy 
And I went to, I made an appointment to see a, a, a big wig producer, a real sort of gatekeeper. And I said, um, I had a, a column in the um, paper at the time. I said, I want to come see you with my, with my columnist head. And I said, look, in all the years that I've been doing stand-up, show me the comics of colour who have become part of the establishment. So now when I look at the programmings and all the young, the newer comedians that aren't white, are they on a conveyor belt? Or are you going to nurture them? Because I want to see people nurtured. I want to see this person. And I, and I showed them examples of this person's got a show, but it's about their background and it's about their background. Can they do a show about squirrels? Can they do it? Yeah. And, and so I did that and I didn't, even, I didn't even tell anyone I was doing that, but for my own sanity, I thought these are good people. These aren't, these aren't bigots. And sometimes people, we need to have those conversations in the way that we're able now to talk to men mm. about mm. women's things. We mm. should be able to talk to one another about unconscious bias. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Let's be, you know, yes, why not come out? I, I was working with a black comedian last night who told me that a reviewer had compared him to Seinfeld and how absolutely delighted he was that for once he wasn't, compared to you know Lenny Henry you know it's uh yeah and and it's tiptoeing around those conversations because you don't want to upset people and think it's really important to to, for people to know that I trust you're not a bigot so listen Mm -hmm. to how I'm seeing things Mm -hmm. that's taken me a long time and then when you do people are really responsive And and also I think sometimes people genuinely in their, from their seat over here, haven't, haven't thought about you over here and and how that might make you feel by putting you over here Mm. so often. Salima, do you remember lately where you were asked, so uh, this felt very regressive somehow because you were asked what precise background you were from so that somebody I won't say who in in charge of your professional life could easier um assist with casting needs and blah 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 blah. yeah and it just felt absolutely like something out of a eugenics program yeah yeah because so my dad so my yeah my dad's white my mom's Pakistani so you know again our kind of generation that blew people's minds in my 20s because they were like not quite brown enough, not quite white enough, yeah. you know, sound quite posh. Yeah. Well, what is But this? now they want the specifics yeah. to sort of like a DNA level degree. <laughs> and that doesn't feel so comfortable either. No, no, I just lie. Um, no, that's, that's so interesting because it's, um, it's such a panic that some people have to guess yes. when they're casting. And but it's reductive, Shappi, because it just closes it. Yeah, it's mm. reductive and it puts us in a, in a really awkward situation. I, I'm, um, I'm in a radio play. Um, mm. I don't know when this podcast is going out, but I, I'm in a radio play and I'm playing the lead part and I'm so, so excited. And it's called Tess of the Tollbooth. And they cast me as Tess and no one cared if Tess is... Uh, 
Asian or black or whatever. And I was just Tess on the radio because even on the radio, people get into a pickle. I know. I know. Yeah. Mm. It's, come on, can't we, can't we get jobs on the radio? You can't see our faces. Can't we yeah. do? Also acting. Isn't that acting? Like, isn't that the point? <laughs> but do you know what, Salima? I, with stand-up, when I was younger, I wanted to be an actor. I mean, I was in love with stand-up, but I didn't go to drama school. And from a very young age, like my first jokes on stage were, I wanted to be an actor, but with the way I look, the only job I'd ever get would be someone's cousin off EastEnders. And I'd spend, I'd spend my acting career going, but I don't want an arranged marriage. <laughs> Yes. Um, okay, I'm going to ask another question. Yeah. When has anger, Shappy, driven you to do something incredible? I think that my entire career is a result of repressed anger. Um, I don't think I would have been a stand-up comic if I wasn't so enraged at what was expected to be my place in the world. Um, Which was what? I've got to say, this pressure didn't even come from my parents. I've got the most sort of bohemian parents that never pressurised me into anything, but everything else told me that I had to um, fit into the nine-to-five um that I can't do certain things because I'm not mainstream. I'm not your typical, you know, I'll never be Juliet. I remember a casting director said to me, you'll never be Juliet. It's like, I'm 20 years old, mate. Give me something. Um, and I, and I did feel extremely stifled um, by uh, the people who seemed very very good at inhabiting themselves, like all the popular kids. I felt so ignored and that made me so um, angry that at not being seen and not being heard. And for me, stand-up comedy back in the 90s, it's different now. I, don't, I, I think I'd do something different now because stand-ups become so mainstream that I think I'd probably do parkour or something. Mm-hmm. But... Back in the 90s, it was the closest thing we had to punk. Yes. Um, It was so underground. It was really opting out and Mm. being part of a subculture. Mm. And I was so angry with with, um, politics. I was so um, angry with, um, uh, you know, growing up under... Margaret Thatcher, I was so angry uh, about Section 28. And it wasn't until I became a young adult that I truly understood what my childhood had had endured, what people of my generation had endured and our teachers endured because they could never stick up for the kid that was constantly being called gay. Or if you're holding hands with your friend, Lesa, you were Lesa. All of this stuff. And I just was able to go out on a stage and and just, I wasn't an angry comic, don't get me wrong. I didn't go out there and vent. I just went out there and just 
just spilled, just got got my fill of of life and adrenaline that had eluded me, and I felt present, and I felt heard, and I felt alive. And I don't think I would have done if I was um, not enraged at the world around me, at racism, at homophobia, and everything, because those those were my things to talk about on stage for a long time, and having a go at comics who were homophobic because it was really normal to make home I was like when is being gay going to stop being funny that, that that was the thing that I would like rage about in um in green rooms and constantly being you know watching other comics are homophobic jokes mm. oh what a beautiful answer it was I a love that you just said that that was such a beautiful like that gave me goosebumps what you just same said. and also mm. it just feels like such a powerful message to women in general is that you know you the one woman comic at that point basically used your voice in this really really electric way to and, get and bloody out. brave also oh. let's just not let's just let's just really acknowledge here as well yeah you've been, you've been bloody brave yeah be always I mean, by so the sounds inspiring. of it. Do you know what happened to me as well? Because I was, um, I had like a couple of agents in my career. One I was with for like most of my career. Mm-hmm. And when it came, I, I wanted to change agents back in 2016 or 17. Mm-hmm. And that was really hard. It was like leaving a marriage. And the one thing I knew was I'm going to have women agents now. I'm going to have women agents. Me too had happened. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Cause a- another thing, this is what anger did to me and rage was I got um, uh, around just before that I got, I was at a gig and I got, I got assault. I got sexually assaulted, right. Publicly like in a bar after the gig. And it wasn't until last September that it went to trial. So that was something I really did out of anger that I haven't actually, this is the first time I've talked publicly about it um, because I thought all my career, shady shit has happened with men, right? And we were trying to be comics. We're trying to be funny people and fucked up things are happening. And then when this happened, I was like really upset by it. Cool. And the, but I didn't report it. And then I did. Like two years later, I was just sat in my car, and I was reading a Facebook post by a young again. I just honestly my my gratitude to to younger. I could cry. My gratitude to, to younger female comedians who have come out to talk about all this stuff is unreal because we didn't, my generation didn't, or if we did, no one listened. Mm. And this young woman had written something about the industry and sexual assault and all this. And I just sat behind my car. I, I was parked. I hadn't set off in my car and just wept and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and called the police. And the police took it. They were around. They took it with utmost seriousness. I had to deal with the, yeah, the CPS. The funding is so low 
that they have to be so sure of a conviction in order to take up your case. So it took so many witnesses, gathering of information to finally for it to go to court. We went to court, he got uh, convicted and he got um, a sentence, right? Community service and uh, uh, he was on the register for five years. And then he appealed. Now in the first case, um, the cross-examination of me didn't take very long because there wasn't much. But then in the appeal, it took a long time. I was cross-examined for so long, for so long, um, without any extra evidence. And then the judge at one point asked me if I want a break. And I said, no, I'm okay. And I came and, and, he, and the, the appeal was thrown out. But I left that court. And I went back to the tube station and I didn't get on the tube for an hour and a half. I couldn't get on there. My dad rang me, Shappy, can you call your mother an Uber? So I, sat and I called my mother an Uber and I didn't even talk much to my dad about what just happened. I just, and I went to court my own as well. Oh God, Shappy. That if I had been, Awful. if I had been raped, if, the, if I was 20, or if I was uh, a drug addict, or mm. if I was raised in care, and I endured that massive amount of time being cross-examined, I don't know how women survive it. I don't think they do psychically. I think mm. a bit of them never, ever recovers from that. And the, the guy from the CPS and the barrister kept thanking me. And all the witness protection people kept saying, thank you, thank you. Because when it goes to appeal, most women drop it. Oh, I just thought it's so, it was so dark to barbaric. see it. That mm. It is barbaric. Mm. <sighs> yeah. So I think anger <laughs> drove me to do that as well. Um, but I thought enough's enough. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> well, shine the light, shine the light. Mm. Yeah, you don't get to fucking do that to me. Yeah. yeah. You see a woman on stage, she's in a position of power. And when she comes down, you want to fuck her up in some right. way. Yeah. That's that's what assault is, mm -hmm. right? It's not about yes. sex. It's it's about power. It's hatred. Mm -hmm. Hatred it's and hate. violence. And, and that's what I felt. I felt yeah. hatred. It's a hate crime. Mm -hmm. And I have to report hate crime. Oh. But it was hard because, you know, my boyfriend, um, n not my boyfriend during the trial, but my boyfriend when it happened, who was my boyfriend for not much longer, was like, oh, this will really affect your work if you report it. And so I didn't. Because oh. I felt, un not because I thought it was going to affect my work, I felt unsupported. Yeah. I felt yeah, shame. unsafe, I suppose. Mm. I'm so sorry yeah. this happened so to you. I really am. Mm. Just, just think of all the people who... The CPS yeah. did not have enough evidence for and who had much more impactful <laughs> assaults um, series. I don't want to diminish. What I, no, I, I, I don't want to diminish anyone's. Mm. You know what I mean. And anyway, so that was just a lifetime of stifling rage at people's behavior. And in my industry, um, a lot of people got away with a lot of stuff and it's funny Ooh. it's it's all it's the comedians the male comedians i've always felt the absolute safest with 
who are the ones that have gone since me too. Shep, I never did anything until I never and I was like no no it's not them it was never them it was never them and and the thing is the Mm. ones who it is for can't listen don't hear it don't think it is Mm. for them probably not even aware of it Shappy before you go we we'd like to invite you into our virtual rage room which is I mean but I do you feel up to this because I feel like are you sure? Absolutely. Let's shake it off. Okay. So this is, so we like to call it quick fire. It rarely is. Um, here's your baseball bat. You can choose the objects you want to swing it at, starting with current news item making you seethe. Oh, here we go. Um, the applause that um, Pamela Anderson is constantly getting or any Hollywood star who has had a lifetime of the most exquisite skin treatments? <laughs> yes, <laughs> coming along and going barefaced to an event. Um, I have not worn makeup um, unless I've really felt like it all my life. No one's called me brave. <laughs> no. <laughs> no one's called me. I think that that is that where the line is. It's brave enough to show your actual face. Um, yes, well said, well said. Good. That makes me cross that that's a new story. Mm-hmm. Um, aspect of modern life that's making you fume. Oh, wheelie bins. I'm really sorry, but they do my back in. I've actually hurt my back trying to move them. And this idea that we suddenly get a rule that just, I, I can't believe I'm saying wheelie bins. Hold on a minute. No, no, no. No, please say wheelie bins. <laughs> please, why not? All right, I'm going to say wheelie bins because um, it's an aspect of modern life that shouldn't I shouldn't do my back in every week moving it to the pavement because I've got weirdly shaped um, front garden and I pay my taxes and they should spend it more wisely and get, you know, empty the bins like they used to do normally in the olden days. And not have me hurt my back. It really gets my go. Behaviour of others which gets on your wick. People who moan about children in cafes. Oh, thank you. Yes. I have I have unfriended people on social media because they have moaned about going into a cafe to write and then a bunch of mums come in with their babies. Those bunch of mums are making this world turn round, you fat. And the public cafe is not your office. And a baby learning to speak. um, Holly, um, I got to remember her name. Where's her book? I love her. Right, Holly, Holly, the poet Holly McNish. She's got mm. a book out called The Slug. I remember once she wrote the title. Yeah, she wrote on Twitter about a mum who had um, turned around to her in a cafe and apologised for her baby being babbling loads because you know oh. Holly was writing, and she said, "Your baby is learning to speak." <laughs> oh, well done, Holly. Being is learning to speak. This yeah. is not my office. So people who are intolerant of uh, babies and feel emboldened to have a go at the most defenceless human oh. It's a real London thing, you know, I think. If, when I took my kids to Manchester, uh, when they when they were babies, everywhere you go, you're treated like royalty. Great, you've bought a baby. Thank you. Yeah, for I love you. Baby here. 
But in London, I'm like, sorry, everyone. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay, finally, your angriest moment on public transport ever. Oh, oh, this is not a glory story. <laughs> Good. <laughs> not a glory story. And um, I had just become vegan. <laughs> I was Does this link? Okay. Well, I hadn't eaten much. Okay. And my, um, my son was with me. Oh, because I, I, I often lose it on public transport. This woman came up to me and she said, can I just say, I think you are the funniest female comedian. And I said, thank you. And then she said, the rest of them are shit. Ooh. <laughs> and I said, I said, which one? Which one is shit? Give me some names. Name me one female comedian that you think is shit. And she goes, um, um, I said, you don't know, do you? You don't know. You can't think of anyone, can you? It's just something that you say. Would you? And she goes, well, it's just my opinion. And, I, and I'm following her up the platform. And I said, would you go up to a black comedian and say you're the only funny black comic, all the other ones are shit? Why is racism unacceptable to you, but sexism, misogyny of your own gender is? And she went, I think you're being out of order. Anyway, so she marched off. And my son, who was only about 10 at the time, said, Mummy, I think you should stop being a vegan. <laughs> so, yeah. That was the solution. <laughs> I'm so happy that you came on our podcast. You've I want to abs- do like high fives and whoops. Yeah, me too. Me too. Thank you. And thank you for the podcast. It's such a brilliant one. I love talking to Shappy because she's such a great mixture of absolute truths and absolute wit so i like how she approaches you know dark real messy gnarly things with a very funny precise eye yeah i really kind of gets it spot on it was so shocking what she was saying about her experiences of assault and then obviously trying to get through the legal system i i think there is such a fundamental issue with how women are treated within the courts where there's this enduring stereotyping where they become whores angels but you you can know that they will never really succeed there it's yet another example of a bedrock institution built on sexism thank you for listening and sharing in our anger and remember you're not mad to feel mad please like and subscribe it helps other people find the podcast